You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got WLS AM 890. Happy, well, two days to opening day to you. Weather's shaping up to at least give you a nice one today. Hopefully we get the same for Monday when the White Sox take on the Detroit Tigers. Plenty to do this afternoon on our uh, our last show before regular season baseball. This is it. This is our preview edition of the 2017 season for the Chicago White Sox. Plenty to do. Here is the rundown, and here's what we're up to this afternoon. First and foremost, you can get involved with the show, as always. Same number, 312-591-8900. 312-591-8900. Got a couple of guests scheduled throughout the course of the afternoon. Guests that you're going to want to hear from, but other than those, it's it's your show, your, dime, your dance floor. Let's uh, make it pop here with some White Sox uh, conversation. You can also hit us on Twitter, at C1McKnight. At C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. You can leave us thoughts throughout the course of the week. We pick them up in the mailbag segment. We'll talk White Sox with you if you uh, want to get down that way. That's cool, too. We've got coming up for you the general manager of the ball club, Rick Hahn. He's going to join us uh, in just a couple of minutes, actually, about 12.15 or so. We'll talk with Rick. We'll talk with Paul Canerico, former White Sox first baseman. The man has his number retired at guaranteed rate field. We'll talk with him about memories of opening days past. And, of course, buddy of his, Mark Burley, going to have his number retired on June 24th this season. I'm sure we'll ask him about that as well. A little bit later on in the show, we're going to be on. We're on from noon until 2 today. So it's a little bit weird in that the White Sox will be playing while we're talking about them. Uh, Even weirder we're going to be talking with Jason Benetti through the magic of radio while he's calling a baseball game. Weird, I know, but we decided to do it because we can. Uh, we'll talk with Jason about his thoughts coming up for uh, the 2017 season, what he saw in spring. Uh, he'll probably actually call live action while we're talking with him because it's, it's, it's a crazy thing that we're able to do this afternoon. However... You know, we've got some news for you right off the top, as it seems that the White Sox have set, or indeed they have set, kind of an opening day roster. Found out this afternoon that Matt Davidson and Cody Ashey have both made the opening day roster. Uh, Not a terrible surprise, really, to anybody. Uh, Matt Davidson, for sure, had kind of as early as Sox Fest been locked into this roster. He was uh, out of options, first and foremost, and secondly, had had a pretty good spring last year, a pretty good triple-A season before breaking his foot in his call-up uh, to the White Sox last year. And it looked as though it was time. Time for the White Sox to see what they could get out of Matt Davidson. Time for Matt Davidson to show what he could do in the big leagues. And it seems, you know, come opening day, he's going to get his first crack at Major League Baseball. Cody Ashey has had a couple runs before, a former top prospect for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, he is going to be on this roster too, and it's and it's interesting, in that Davidson and Ashy are are similar guys. You know, one from the one from the left side of the plate, one from the right side, to be sure. But Davidson, kind of that corner guy, third and first, little DH as well. Ashy can play the outfield too, a little bit of left, a little bit of right, DH first, a little bit of third too. Not a problem there for Cody Ashy. So a bit of redundant parts, but certainly guys that might fit 
in a weird way, a, a bit of a platoon for the White Sox. Ashy has had probably the most impressive spring of any of the non-roster guys that have been put on this club. And we'll talk to Rick Hahn coming up here in a few minutes about what it means to, about how organizations go about choosing their non-roster guys and whether or not, you know, there's there's really any kind of expectations put on them at the beginning of spring, certainly as it goes and as openings kind of pop up, whether it be to injuries or trades or what have you, uh, those those options kind of spread around some. Oh, we'll also talk with Jacob May. Had a chance to hang out with him in the dugout yesterday. Went up to Milwaukee for the game. Uh, we did the pre and the post game show, our last one before we start the season on Monday. Had a chance to hang out with Jacob May, the new center fielder for the White Sox. He's going to be making his MLB debut coming up on Monday as well, or, or likely on Monday. I suppose the opening day roster hasn't or lineup rather hasn't been set, but I think you can expect Jacob May to be in that center field spot and somewhere in the lineup. Probably, well, we saw him batting in the nine spot yesterday, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's that 9-1 kind of turnaround with maybe a guy like Tyler Saladino, as we saw yesterday, or maybe a guy like Tim Anderson batting at the top two. We'll get to the lineup for the afternoon before we start the game at uh, 105. Of course, we'll be talking White Sox baseball throughout that second hour of the show. Opening day is just a few days away, of course, you can join us on Monday, April 3rd, as your White Sox take on the Detroit Tigers at 3.10 p.m. All fans in attendance will receive a 2017 magnetic schedule. Great seats are still available. Get yours today at WhiteSox.com. I guess, you know, as we talk a bit about uh, Cody Ashey and Matt Davidson making the roster, and congrats to both of those guys, it's interesting to kind of look at the way Ricky Renneria has well, in a way, he previewed this for you. In a way, he lets you know that there are going to be opportunities for guys like that um, to make this team at the outset of spring. Really going back to Soxfest in the way that I remember Ricky Renneria was on with the, uh, we had him on to the Steve Dahl show, first night of Soxfest. And I asked him a bit about the DH spot and kind of what the plan was there. And, and really, that was a topic of conversation with Renteria and a number of people throughout Soxfest. And he was adamant then and remains so throughout spring training up until this afternoon, that that DH spot is going to be used moving around some as a little bit of rest for players as the season wears on, a little bit of, of, of a refresh for some guys, an opportunity to sneak a bat in a lineup where otherwise, you know, defensively you don't have the ability to do that. It's, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. And it'll be, you know, a guy like Avi Garcia getting some DH at bats. It'll be a guy like Ashy. It'll be a guy like Davidson. Be a Jose Abreu at times uh, when you can convince Jose that he doesn't have to play first base. The guy likes to be out there for sure, and that's a good thing to have. Um, but I, I think with the versatility that that spot gives you in the American League and with the way the, the White Sox have kind of set up their roster, it lends, well, lends some kind of... Uh, flexibility to Ricky Renneria as he makes out a couple of lineups. As for the bullpen, a couple of interesting things there toward the back end. I guess we'll get to that just after the 1230 news or so. We got to take a quick break here before we get to general manager Rick Hahn on the other side. I'll let you know real quick that White Sox fans, you can join us as the White Sox take on the Minnesota Twins. That's Saturday, April 8th at 1.10 p.m. First 15,000 fans receive a White Sox winter hat presented by Coca-Cola to purchase tickets Visit WhiteSox.com. You've got White Sox Weekly. On the other side of a quick break, White Sox General Manager Rick Hahn. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got WLS AM 890. 
White Sox fans, join us as the White Sox take on the Cleveland Indians Saturday, April 22nd at 6.10 p.m. The first 15,000 fans will receive a White Sox hooded sweatshirt presented by Guaranteed Rate. Get your low, low mortgage rate at rate.com today. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com. We head out to the phone lines. White Sox general manager Rick Hahn joining us here on White Sox Weekly. He's been a frequent guest of the show. The general manager usually is. Rick, thanks so much for spending a couple minutes with us. I know a uh, game in Milwaukee this afternoon. So you're a, you're a busy man starting today and for the next six months. Yep, and hopefully, hopefully even longer than that. But certainly uh, we, we finish up with games that technically don't matter and uh, start going with the real thing on Monday. Looking forward to it. So, Rick, we've we've talked a lot about this organization as a whole. We've talked about the granular parts of things, and and I want to start the interview. I want to start talking a little bit about stuff that's not, you know, that's more baseball. That's that's maybe a little bit more fun for you to talk about your your memories because we're kind of doing this retrospective of opening days past. What's your memory of your first opening day? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I actually used to go, I think it's no secret publicly that I grew up a Cubs fan, sure. so it is going to be at Wrigley Field. Uh, I believe it was 77 or so, and I used to go with my dad every year and a couple of his buddies, and I believe it was 77, although now the, the Internet proved me wrong, <laughs> uh, and I think it was the bottom of the ninth inning. It was either 77 or 78, bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, I think the Cubs had... Bittner, Mercer, and Kingman coming up, uh, and you know that was the heart of the order tie game. And my dad's buddy started chanting, "We want a home run," and the whole place started chanting it. And I and Bittner actually went yard for a walk off. So I, I, at that time, I was seven, eight years old, and uh, I thought not only was that the coolest thing I ever seen, but that somehow my dad's buddy had some special powers. That's uh, so. So no specific memory then. <laughs> exactly. Not, not that you want to get away from the granular, and there I went right to it. That is, uh, that's a very, that's a good. Why? Let me ask you this: when I when I mentioned first opening day, I, I thought maybe you'd go your first working in baseball. You didn't. I kind of think that speaks to what baseball means to us at a very you know intrinsic level. No, I think you're right. I mean, it, all of us, yourself included, me, and people who work for the club, the players. Fundamentally, we're all fans. I mean, that's what drew us originally to the game. So when you start talking about my, my first opening day memories, it's certainly, uh, it certainly it goes right to being a fan as opposed to anything professional. Where is, as, as you, let's take you back to the, uh, the general manager's chair and, and your job now, where is the state of baseball as, as you guys see it? How is it different from about three years ago? I mean, fly balls are up, home runs are up, the strike zone is moving strikeouts. up. Short, yeah, strikeouts are up. Shortstops can actually hit now. How how is this different? How is this game different than maybe three years ago? And every time the bullpen door flies open, the guy comes in with throwing ninety five plus. It seems like no joke. Uh, you know, I think those are some. It, it, contact is down, as you pointed out. It, it's uh, it's fewer balls in play, which I know is a concern to some. Uh, at the same time, you know, people have embraced not just judging individual performance by one or two simple statistics, whether it be strikeouts or RBIs, you know, it's become far more sophisticated. And you look uh, at the entirety of what the player can do, not just perhaps one or two flaws. Certainly the advances in, in advanced metrics and, and data analysis, as we see with StatCast and other other uh, ways of analyzing the game, have helped people have a more full appreciation, I think, of a player's individual contribution to team wins. So 
I certainly think it is advanced in the, in a lot of ways, while at the same time certain elements of the game, uh, the fewer balls in play, the greater strikeouts, uh, perhaps does take away from it for, for some uh, more traditional fans. You know, we look back, and, and whether it's a traditionalist, whether it's a, a guy like Hawk Harrelson who says, you know, it gives a guy a hang with him, you know, a ball that's hit hard but right at somebody, and, and that used to be kind of a, an anecdotal thing. Now it is measurable, like you mentioned. Are we at a point where coaches, front office types, stat guys can, can look at a player who might be taking an offer and say, don't worry about it. You've hit the ball hard your last 12 times or whatever it is. You're going to be fine. Does, does, do players understand that at this point? They do, but they're also human. Sure. So while you can certainly point to the fact that they're hitting in the bad luck or, look, the, your process is, is, uh, should be resulting in more positives, even though the results so far have been an offer, uh, they get that, and, and they appreciate that, and it is a way, I think, to take some solace. At the end of the day, you're dealing with human beings, and when the results aren't there, it, it is a little difficult perhaps for them to, to just keep a stiff upper lip and, and soldier through it. Now, again, if you're talking about, 0 for 8, it's a little different than talking about, uh, you know, 4 for 44 or something like that. How does the front office keep a stiff upper lip in the same way? I mean, if you know that a guy's <laughs> hit it on the nose the last couple of times up and, and yet there aren't results, when and how do you make those decisions? It's tough. I mean, look, in terms of making a decision, you, you want to give it enough time that you feel like you have a relevant sample and given that if you can quantify the the hard luck that a player is hitting into, so to speak, it gives you a little bit more peace of mind in letting the thing play out because we do know for a long enough period of time things are likely going to even out. And there will be some bloops and gorks that will get in there that will help make up for the fact that the, the good processes aren't leading to the right results. How do coaches, in your estimation, earn a player's trust? You know, we're, we're talking about – the ways that we kind of communicate what's happening on the players, what we front offices communicate, the things that are happening on the field to players. And sometimes, like you said, players are human and it's tough, you know, to have, I guess, open ears. How do coaches earn that kind of trust? How do you as a front office who, who hires coaches, how do you identify coaches who can earn that kind of trust? You need to identify the guys who have that special communication and empathy. Uh, we, as a front office, are responsible for putting the 25 guys into the clubhouse, and the manager and the coaches are responsible for getting the most out of those 25. So you want coaches who are only focused on those 25 through thick and thin. Now they realize that uh, the periphery of the roster may get changed yeah. as a result of performance and options and guys in the minors doing better. Uh, but you want their focus to be on maximizing uh, the contribution of the players in the room and I think when players realize that the coaching staff is focused strictly on that that their only interest is maximizing these players ability and they stand by them through the successes and failures that helps build that trust between the player and the coaching staff they, they, they know that the coaches aren't always looking you know at the general manager of the front office to you know switch a guy out and they know that they're going to be treated the same way, whether they're four for four or zero for four on a given day, and 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 no one's uh, so looking out the door for what's coming in that door next, looking through the windows, he goes coming in that door next. So it, it, that goes a long way with these guys in terms of building trust, I believe. Talking with White Sox general manager Rick Hahn here on White Sox Weekly. Rick, since the organization has shifted its philosophy and kind of you know gathering young talent, does your job shift this year? Are you going to be? You know, at more minor league games, will you find yourself in a waffle house on some dirt road finishing your chicken and waffles and 
asking directions to some legion field that no one's ever heard of? I mean, what does, does it change for you? I, we still, I, in years past, I've still done a fair amount of that, getting out to the minors as well as high schools and colleges, looking at amateur talent and even down in Latin America uh, as we get closer to the July 2nd date. This year, uh, I certainly will do at least as much of that as it had in the past. And uh, probably spend a fair amount of time having making sure one of our our TVs in the in our box at the ballpark is able to tune into our minor league games. You know, obviously, uh, milb.com helps make that a lot easier. And and there may be some nights where uh, we need to look up at that TV and take some solace in some of the developments down in Birmingham or Charlotte or, or Winston Salem. But you know, I, I certainly all of us intend to remain focused on what happens in Chicago. That's uh, that's the most uh, prominent level. It's the one that gets the most, the highest level of scrutiny and, and certainly requires a great deal of attention. At the same time, as you point out, as we go through this process and focus more on the long term, what happens at each of those affiliates, what happens internationally, what happens in the draft are going to be every bit as important in terms of putting us in the position we want to be over the long haul. How's Carlos Rodon? Whenever I get asked about what kind of season he's going to have, and this is even in weeks prior, I had kind of pegged him for a big breakout kind of season. Not that that means anything. I just kind of figured I'd mention it since we've been talking on the show for a couple of weeks. Where, where's he at? Uh, what are the changes to the rotation that you kind of expect in the first couple of weeks? And does the 10-day DL change a decision-making process at all? I mean, the 15-day is gone. It's 10 now. Well, a few different things. First, in a, as a general point, with the 10-day DL versus the 15, I do think you're going to see clubs uh, perhaps a little more inclined to put uh, players, especially pitchers, uh, on the DL if there is a small ailment, because especially in the case of a starting pitcher, if you mix in an off day, you're only talking about perhaps one start. Right. And giving those players that little bit of extra rest, a little bit of care, could well pay off over the long run. With, with regards to Carlos specifically, uh, he feels he feels pretty good right now. Actually, the the pain has subsided. He's on a throwing program, uh, staying back there in Glendale, and, and he'll be on that program for another oh about 10, 12 days, and then we'll reevaluate around April 10th or so uh, what comes next. Assuming he continues to feel good and progress, then we'll work on ramping him back up, working him into extended games, and then uh, also a rehab assignment at some point before he returns to Chicago. When you and your uh, colleagues make decisions to grab non-roster types like Cody Ashey or Anthony Swarzak or Giovanni Soto, for whom you now have space on the 25-man, though I don't know if we want to make that official here on the show, feel free. What process gets used to find out which guys fit? How much How much of it is, is pure, unabashed baseball hope uh, uh, factor? It's a lot of hope in that process. <laughs> the six-year free agent list comes out uh you know, we, we have guys identified going into the early part of September, and uh, each of our professional scouts gets the master list of, of six-year guys, and, and our stat analysts also uh, review the same list. And ideally, you get a nice little uh, overlap between guys who the, the scouts want to dream on from a tool standpoint, uh, might have had that, you know, past prospect glow on them a little bit that uh, perhaps has waned in recent years, but you're still – getting them in their mid to late 20s, so there's still the chance to capture that upside. And uh, the, the stat analysts look for certain trends and, and that perhaps can translate into our ballpark or into our situation to, to foretell some greater success. So it, it's, it, it's a funny process because, you know, quite frankly, these players find themselves available as minor league free agents uh, because something hasn't quite gone right in recent years in their career. Otherwise, they'd remain on the 40-man roster or uh, – 
a true enough service to become a, a normal 20B free agent. But there is, in turn, a huge bidding war and great competition between the clubs uh, to, to battle for these guys, and they wind up uh, receiving pretty decent salaries on the minor league level as a result. You know, we all, we all hold out hope that we're on the cusp of uncovering the next Jose Quintana, who we signed as right. a minor league free agent. Uh, but even if they don't all pan out as, as well as that, you certainly can find uh, some very useful pieces, uh, such as Ashy and, and Swarzak this year and, and in years past, a guy like Zach Putnam. Speaking of Quintana, I uh, and before we let you go, I, I got to ask you about him. You've made no, uh, you've, you've made it pretty clear what the expectations are for this season and and exactly where you guys are looking to to change the, t- the roster. Would it be as possible for you to to be up front with media types with fans and whatnot if the guy kind of sitting in the center wasn't the guy that Jose Quintana is? I, I mean, I, I watch him operate with all this stuff around him, and every time he goes out to that mound, he's he's Jose Quintana. It's really it's really pretty impressive to watch him do what he's done with everything around him. Now he is, he certainly has unique and special makeup. I mean, he's really unflappable. You see it when he pitches, you see it while the way he's dealt with these rumors swirling around him. Uh, at the same time, I think I've said a few times we're dealing with human beings here and you try to be sensitive uh, to the fact that they have families, they have uh small children, some who may be in school, may have a pregnant wife, have other considerations that, you know, weigh on them as they think about having to pick up and move everything mid-season. So we try not to spend too much time belaboring the potential that certain players may be moved. Whenever they have a specific question, we obviously answer it as clearly and as directly as we can to them to try to get them some solace or some understanding about where things sit and the likelihood of a move. But it does help when you have guys like Jose who are very steady, are, are a pro's pro, and, and is going to go about his work regardless of whether he's on a, a one-year contract or a 10-year contract. It, it certainly helps, uh, I think, him, his makeup, I think certainly helps him shoulder these uh, rumors and, and not get distracted by them as they swirl around him. Rick, really appreciate you hopping on. I don't know if you're able to enjoy yourself at the at the game today, but the uh, Carbon 4 out there at the Craft Brewery, friend of mine, they run it. Ch- try one. It's really good. I uh, appreciate it. I'll be sure to be there post-game, Connor. Yeah, there, exactly. After your work is done, <laughs> and then that's exactly where you go. I think I'm probably going to get in trouble for the plug, too. Rick, appreciate it as always. We'll see you once the season starts on Monday. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Connor. That's White Sox General Manager Rick Hahn. MLB.TV Premium is back and better than ever. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live on over 400 supported devices. Plus, get a free subscription to AtBat Premium, the number one app for live baseball. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.TV for details. The news is next. We'll be right back here on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WS, WLS. Sorry, I got so distracted by Sure Shot by the Beastie Boys. What can you do? WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly, and we just got done talking with General Manager Rick Hahn about a number of different things, his numbers, his remembrances, rather, of, of opening days. And I, I thought it was cool. I, you know, I left the question kind of open-ended. What do you remember about opening day? And he went back to opening day as a kid. And I think, you know, that's what we all do. I I really only players, right? And and players only because they're so in the moment, perhaps. You know, we'll talk to Jacob May in a couple of minutes here on the show, or a little, a little bit later than that, I guess. But, you know, it'll be his first opening day in a, in a, in a major league uniform. I mean, how do you, you know, if I ask Jacob, 
what are your memories of opening day? The, obviously, he's going to look back to be as a kid, but you know, we'll ask Paul Canerco about his memories as an opening day. Obviously, that's going to be you know, as a player on the field. I, I think you know, if I asked you, what's your memory of of opening day? Is it going to be the last one that you went to? If you haven't been to one, do you do you pick one that was most meaningful to you? You know, was it something as a kid? You know, where you're there with your dad or your or your mom or whatever it was. You know, your parents, you know, introducing you to baseball or you know, was it an opening day where you completely blew off class in college and just watched everything? That that'd probably be mine. Just watch absolutely everything that you could find, all of the baseball that was on during the day. I mean, it's it's cool. It's a it's a really awesome time of year. It's it's a little bit fleeting in that, you know, we get this opening day and it's and it's the, the pomp and the circumstance and it's oh my god, baseball's finally back. But it's, you know, in these parts it's forty. Then you get a day off, probably there's snow, and all you can think to yourself is, I, I watched baseball yesterday, and I don't understand why it's not warm out and I'm not happier. And then you get your next day of baseball, and you go, oh, okay, this is fine. I'll live with it. I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder uh, what it would be for you, what your memories of opening day are. Feel free to let us know, 312-591-8900. Was it at Old Comiskey? Was it a guaranteed rate? Was it another ballpark that you, you know, maybe you lived somewhere else in the in the country, you were at another ballpark, maybe watching the Sox, was it an away game, something like that? I, I wonder. Was opening day, I mean, heck, you might have been playing. I mean, if you were a kid and you were playing maybe, well, I guess it'd be a little bit early for, for Legion Ball or Spring Ball, but in some parts of the country, maybe you'd be playing at this point. You know, a little bit of Spring Ball, maybe you were trying out for a ball club, something like that. 312591 8,900 is the phone number. You hit us on Twitter, too. At C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. Paul Canerco's coming up in just a minute or two. We'll take another quick break. We're kind of shuffling things around so that we can fit phone calls in. Of course, the White Sox take on the Brewers in the final spring training game of the year. That's this afternoon at 105. We'll talk you through the game in case you're, uh, you know, tooling around and flipping dials and whatnot. Um, your lineup for the White Sox this afternoon. Looks a lot like a perhaps a, a regular season lineup. Jacob Mays leading off in center field. Tim Anderson is hitting second, playing short. Melky Cabrera's out in left. Jose Abreu DHs. Todd Frazier is at third. Danny Hayes, what a monster double last night. He's going to play first base. Avisel Garcia is in right. Omar Narvaez is catching. Yolmer Sanchez is at second base. Tyler Salivino played last night. Yolmer gets the start tonight. We've got our 25-man roster, and we'll go over that a little bit later this afternoon. It'll be 12 pitchers and 13 position players. Not quite sure yet if it'll be Omar Narvaez or Giovanni Soto who gets the call opening day to catch Jose Quintana. I will say that either way, um, I, whether you look at it from a defensive standpoint or an offensive standpoint, that's a pretty good opening day gig if you're a catcher catching Jose Quintana. You pretty much know he's going to hit the mitt every time he throws. That's That's got to be fairly comfortable for either guy who gets the nod. We'll go through the roster in a little bit here on White Sox Weekly. We'll take a quick break. Paul Canerco, maybe you've heard of him. Paul Canerco going to join us on the other side. you got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Paul Canerco going to join us in just a couple of seconds. Sox fans this season, check out the new Craft Cave located in right field. The Craft Cave features over 75 craft beers, a full bar menu including craft burgers, my goodness, and a lively atmosphere for all fans. For an additional charge, you can sit in the bullpen porch, a two-tiered open-air section above the visiting bullpen throughout the game. That's pretty cool. For more information, 
Call 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. So we welcome into the show former White Sox first baseman Paul Canerco, no stranger to White Sox fans and listeners of the show. Paul, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate your time. And uh, how you been? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. Um, I've been doing fine. Just chasing kids around, um, you know, keeping busy, uh, certainly with that. Um, and a little golf here and there. And, uh, you know, following orders from the wife, stuff like that. You know, basic retired <laughs> player's life. Nothing wrong with that. Sounds like a pretty decent way to spend your time. Uh, you, you've said a couple of times, Paul, that, that being in one place for as long as you were is maybe the favorite part of your career, and having the most opening day starts in White Sox history kind of drives that point home. I was wondering, what are your, what are your memories of opening days past? Oh, man, there's a lot of them. Um, I even remember, obviously, as a player, you remember your first one, which for me was I was actually with the Dodgers at that point. I was in St. Louis, which is a great opening day. It was at the old Bush Stadium, and, uh, you know, they do a heck of a job there. I'm sure they still do it, the new one. So that I remember that one. I think you always remember your first one. Uh, I think you obviously remember the good games. Uh, I mean, certainly you remember them all. I mean, you could probably name off every year, and I think I could almost call where we were. Uh, you remember the good ones a little bit more than the bad ones, but um, there's a big build-up to it. I mean, I think opening day is an interesting day. Everybody looks forward to it. Having said that, I mean, nothing about it is really like baseball as far as the rest of the season, so you're kind of having it over, too, meaning that, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of things that happen on opening day that everybody thinks they're going to be indicative of what's going to happen the rest of the year. And there's right. a lot of build-up like a football game, and, and baseball is the opposite of football, really, in, in, in all those ways. So, um, you know, I, I think most players love it, but when it's over, they're also like, okay, let's get on with the season now, you know. So so let's test your memory of opening days just a little bit. I'm not going to put you too much on the spot. Your first with the Sox, okay. that was 1999. You hit a homer. Yeah. That one, that would ring a bell. Seattle Kingdom, yeah. There you go. Okay, okay. And so yeah. th then there's '06, right? There's the '06 opening day. You guys are on the field and celebrating a title. I have to imagine that yeah. that. I mean, the the pomp and the circumstance and the the smiles, man. That had to be nuts. Yeah, which I think also that day it was the Indians. Uh, I think I hit a homer, and I think that was when Burley made the play through his legs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think that was that year. But uh, I think that was a uh, – it, it was definitely a lot of build-up going into that. that. That one more than any of them. I, mean, I remember the whole spring thing. We were filming, you know, all kinds of promos. And sure. And there was, you know, the ESPN and, you know, a lot of the main outlets were covering us leading into the year, which obviously was different than all the rest of the year. So that that was interesting. So the Burley between the legs play, I don't think was – I think in 06 – I hate to do this to you, Paul. I think you, I think you took an 0 for an 06. Did I? Okay. I yeah. think it was the Indians, though. I want to say it, was it definitely was the Indians. Year. You're 100% yeah. right. Then it was the next year. I mean, see, you get Sebastian every time back then. So, like, I remember those at bats, and I definitely remember getting them on opening day, one of those. I, I take that back. Maybe uh, was it opening day or was it our home opener? There's a difference there. I'm not sure which one was opening, if what's considered which, but um, I definitely know our home opener, one of those is when. I think it was, I think it was the next year because you definitely got him. I'm looking at it. You definitely got him. Okay. Yeah, oh seven. Yeah, you you tag Sabathia. Nothing wrong with it. You got him. Yeah, absolutely had him. Okay. So the yeah. the other one I wanted to ask you about, the other opening day that I want to ask you about is uh, 2014. Your your last opening day. That one was very different for you. You didn't start. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was some talk in spring. I mean, I remember Robin talking with him a little bit. They were you know thinking about starting match. Listen, that's not the. What we're what, you know, I'm not here for that this year. It's not what we're rolling in. So. 
you know, pretty much that whole year, I kind of disconnected that from anything else I'd done the rest of the time I was with the White Sox. So I, I enjoyed that day too. I mean, I enjoyed that whole year really, um, the different role and all that. But I, he was talking about maybe putting me in there for the start. I, I don't think he wanted to, but he was kind of felt like he might have owed it to me. And I just cut it off short and just said, hey, listen, you know, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm happy just to be back here and just, uh, you know, I, I kind of, it'd be fun to experience one not on the field, you know, I'll be, I'll be ready to pitch it for the game or something. So, um, and actually, in a lot of ways, it's more enjoyable. Uh, the day is where you don't have to play, or at least not at the beginning, because you can kind of take it all in a little bit more. When you're starting, um, you know, you have to get down to business two, three hours before the game, and you kind of miss some of the other, you know, the things that happen building up to the game sometimes. So I, I did enjoy it, and, uh, you know, it, it, it was it was uh, a, definitely a different perspective on opening day, that's for sure. Talk about White Sox, great Paul Canerco here on White Sox Weekly for another minute or two. Do, do the nerves ever go away for a baseball player? I mean, opening day is probably something different than, you know, just nerves or butterflies, however you want to classify it through the season. But do you do you master those at some point? I, I never did. <laughs> I, mean, I think you always have butterflies leading into every single game. And in fact, players will say, if you don't have them, that's when you get time to walk away. Sure. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, honestly, every single opening thing I had, that first at bat, leading into your first at bat, um, is, you know, it, it just there's something about that one that you – Again, even as a player, you're human, so you kind of fall into the same trapping as everybody else that's watching it, the fans, everybody. That somehow that first or that first game is setting the tone for your whole year, and it's completely false. But you somehow fall into that trap as well, and you—that's why you, you know guys like a Burley um, look at the guys over the years that have great opening days that are soft throwing lefties, right? Sure, um, those are always great guys to start an opening day because everybody just is trying to do too much, it seems like, and those guys just have a field day with them. So um, that's always the trick, man. Playoff games, uh, opening day, uh, they're very Cubs interleague series. Those games all have a kind of a common thread to them, and that is the trap of falling in to try to do too much. And when you look up, sometimes you, it's the, end, the game's over, and you realize, man, I, I'm so into the trap again, you know. My God, it makes so much sense. I'd never thought of it from that perspective before, but that, that makes so much sense. Yeah, like a guy like Kenny Rogers is just like murder on open. Or a knuckle, Jamie a knuckleballer like a Wakefield, something like that, even worse or better. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I never got him, but uh, knuckleball. I mean, you can throw everything out the window. It's usually yeah. really kind of really bad, sure. one or the other, on every game. So Tim Anderson will start his first opening day for the White Sox this year. If he cornered you and begged you to tell him what to expect, what would you tell him in a couple of sentences? Yeah, I would just a lot of adrenaline, you know, and that's again, that's expect. Um, that you're going to be – it's similar probably um, to his debut. You know, I think that's that's also another time where you're just – you have a certain energy in your body that you never really have, and you got to figure out a way to kind of um, use it to your advantage, and that's that's always the hard part. Um, so, I mean, again, that's why you see guys – I mean, what was the one guy who hit three or four homers and he did Tuffy Rhodes and he had like three or four a year? Yeah, Dimitri uh, Young, yeah. I think, took three deep on yeah, an opening day, yeah. You find the superhuman power on, on opening day, the guys who line it up right. But, again, it's, some of that's not real. It's just kind of this, uh, uh, you know, uh, you're just so pumped up and so uh, so eager to go. So I, I think that's the one that I would tell him. And, and not only hitting, I mean, throwing, too. You know, the first ball he gets out there, he's going to want to throw it miles an hour first. And, you know, that's where you got to also kind of just say, hey, you know, take it easy or play up the middle. He might get that he has no play on it, but he wants it to play. That's, you know, he throws it away. So those are all the things in these games, playoff games, opening days, where 
you learn, I think, the more you play in your career of how to temper that and how to be consistent and control all that stuff as you go. So, but I, I would also tell them, listen, man, this, you know, you just have to go out and do it. You, you'll get better. As you know, but, uh, you know, if anything's free, common collected, Tom Cohen collected, he'll probably have a great day and not be saved at all. So he'll be fine. You spent a day with the team in spring training and, and Tim uh, a little, a couple of weeks ago out in Arizona. What, what hit you most uh, about the guys and about some of the new coaches that you, uh, that, that were new to you? Um, yeah, a lot of new thing that probably hit me most is that every time I walk in, I'm seeing less and less people I know. Uh, so, um, but I definitely a different vibe. I mean, I talked to some of the people in the front um, office, not so much the front office, but just people who work behind the scenes, call out people, um, you know, ticketing people. Hermie, uh, you talked to Hermie? Uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's just a different, I think it's that vibe they got going there is um, the first time since I think when I had my first year there in 99, where they kind of, you know, took a step back and said, hey, we're going to go with some young guys and, and kind of throw everybody together and see what comes out on the other end as far as who wants to play, who wants to, you know, go out and get a job. And um, definitely a younger younger uh, feel, feel in there with all the different guys. So that, I could definitely sense that. You know, you could see a lot of the guys like kind of embarking on the beginning of their um, career. And that's good. I mean, I think that it's, um, it's a good time to do it. Um, and... I think nowadays, you know, it used to be if you pulled that trigger, it seemed like a five- or six-year thing. And nowadays, teams, it seems like, you know, that the arc of getting from being a young team that everybody thinks is rebuilding, it can almost happen in that year, certainly the next year. It seems like it happens so quick where, you know, because everybody's young. All the teams, even their veteran guys, have four or five, six years. And so it's not like it was way back when. So, um, you know, it, well, I'm sure when it gets good with this group, it'll probably stay good for a while, and that should be uh, – fun to watch. I think uh, Rick Renneria is an awesome uh, baseball guy. I mean, I think he's, um, you know, just a, a smart guy who's been around the game for a long time, and everybody seems to like him a lot. So before I let you go, I, I would be, well, White Sox fans would hate me if I didn't ask you about June 24th coming up this summer. As, as I'm sure you know, though maybe you don't have it in the calendar, as the 24th. Mark Burley gets his jersey hung up next to yours on that day at Guaranteed Rate Field. What was your reaction when you first found out? Will you be there to watch Mark Burley make whatever kind of speech he does in front of the gathered masses? Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I thought of was kind of like just simply, that makes sense. You know, like, you know, it's just simple, not anything that I would have been surprised if they didn't do it eventually. Um, You know, just knowing what he did for the, the organization and how long he was there and, and also knowing that, you know, if it was up to him, I think he would have been there um, and finished it out. I don't, I don't think he was, you know, he, sometimes the business of this game takes over and it kind of forces people to do what they have to do. And I don't think that was ever his, his intention. I mean, you could ask him, but he would have been happy just playing all of his years with the White Sox, and that would have been that. That would have been really a no-brainer. Um, so I, I was happy they did that for that reason because I didn't want to have it cost them that they were going to do this for him because he had to go play somewhere else, which I don't think was even his – idea you know so um good for him and definitely working on it i got some uh, strings to pull i don't know i'm going to be up in the mountains of arizona on a family vacation all the month of june so um we'll see if i'm not i'll be there in spirit i think that good thing with mark is uh you know he's not he'll take anything too seriously so um he'll probably have fun with it and uh you know, he'll have a great day. I'm sure he'll forgive you for it, and uh, and I'm sure it'll be it'll be fun to see it up there once you get to the ballpark and, and see those numbers up there together. Paul, really appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much, and uh, 
And be well, man. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You got it. White Sox first baseman Paul Canerco. Thanks to him for uh, joining us. You can catch all the interviews in the entire White Sox Weekly online in case you missed the show. WLSAM.com slash White Sox everything cataloged and uh, saved for you up there. News is next. We'll go over the 25-man roster set by the White Sox and uh, get you all ready for opening day on Monday. That's next, WLS AM 890. Hour two of White Sox Weekly, our season preview episode. Welcome back. I'm Connor McKnight. Plenty of time to get in touch with the show. Had a packed first hour. General Manager Rick Hahn hung out with us for a little while. Former Sox first baseman Paul Canerco was on the show. In case you missed any of the first hour, you can always check out the podcast at WLSAM.com slash White Sox. I'll tweet out the link once everything's up a little bit later this afternoon. At C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. You can follow and leave everything uh, on the Twitter handle for the mailbag and check out the podcast there at C1 McKnight. You can hit us up on the phone lines, 312-591-8900 as well. Plenty of time for your phone calls throughout the afternoon. One interview left to get done. Jason Benetti, through the magic of radio, is going to join us while he's broadcasting a White Sox game. He is a talented man, and we're going to put him to the test a little bit later on this afternoon. But that's uh, not until after the 1.30 news. And from now until uh, until then, it's it's you and it's me talking White Sox baseball. You can enjoy all the benefits of being a White Sox season ticket holder by purchasing a prorated full or split season ticket package. To purchase a season ticket package, please visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000 and do it today. We've got a 25-man roster. White Sox and Brewers getting set to go at Miller Park right now, but we have a 25-man roster all set and ready for you. Broke down some of the position players a little bit earlier in the show. Want to give that a little more love I want to work that down just a little bit more. 13 position players, which to me is a little bit surprising. Thought maybe it'd be 13 pitchers. It's not. And I only thought it would be so because of Carlos Rodon and he's going to start the season on the disabled list. However, flip side of that coin is with the White Sox having two off days in the first week or so of the season on April 4th and April 10th. It gives Ricky Renneria a little bit of flexibility, a couple of options in the pitching staff, no decision on a fifth. St- well, I suppose we'll get to the pitchers later. I promise some talk about the start, uh, the position players. Let's stick with that. Come on, Connor. Stick to the plan. Three outfielders, Melky Cabrera, Jacob May, and Avisel Garcia, of course. Two utility players is what I'm calling Cody Ashy and Luiori Garcia. Uh, both of them can play a little bit of outfield, a little bit of infield. Luiori Garcia came up an infielder, and the White Sox kind of pushed him into the outfield to make him a little bit more versatile and and take this job uh, this year, or at least take that a job this year. Ashy, of course, can play in the corners, in the outfield, and in the infield, and I think he'll get some DH spot as well. We talked about Cody Ashy making it. For my money, injuries to pitchers aside, you know, because those can always kind of crop up throughout the course of spring and change the calculus for a roster. But injuries aside to pitchers, the fact that Cody Ashy makes this team probably the most surprising thing coming out of spring. I mean, when he was added as a non-roster guy, former prospect shine aside, I, I hadn't given him much of a thought of, of making this club. Turns out he's had one heck of a spring. I think he's shown something, a little bit of power is the something, to White Sox coaches, and that's somewhat intriguing in a, in a lineup that could use a little bit of pop. 
from the right side or the left side, to be honest with you. So uh, Ashy, who's going to hit from the left, makes this team. You've got six infielders, Todd Frazier, Tim Anderson, Tyler Saladino, and Jose Abreu from left to right across the diamond. Yolmer Sanchez is your, you know, kind of your Johnny everything. You can play a second. You can play short. Play a little bit of third if he has to. Tyler Salino can play everything too. I mean, that's that's and he's across the diamond. He's been played first base more than uh, more than Yolmer has. Matt Davidson makes this club too. Writing was on the wall there. I think we talked about that at the outset of the show. It, it made a lot of sense for Matt Davidson to make this club. He indeed did. Uh, the broken foot. He was part of uh, part of the White Sox rookie crew that were all set back by injuries last season and. Uh, he's here and ready to go. Omar Narvaez and Giovanni Soto are indeed your starting catchers. Very little surprise there, although we mentioned that uh, Ricky Renneria hasn't announced exactly who is going to get that opening day start yet. Kind of mentioned that ch- catching Jose Quintana to start things off. Not a terrible assignment for a catcher. It's put the glove there. He'll hit the glove, move on to the next pitch. That said, you know, Soto being being a veteran, and with the catching situation, what it is in the White Sox system, Narvaez kind of an up-and-comer, maybe an out-of-nowhere type guy last season. Uh, the White Sox had some hopes for him, but I don't think they expected him to realize major league playing time last year that early in his developmental curve. I don't think they expected him to be as consistent as he was at the plate. While Omar doesn't offer or didn't last season a whole lot in the way of power, they were pretty good at bats from Omar Narvaez last year, controlled and and uh, and patient at bats where he looked like he had a plan up there. And the average stayed fairly high. On base was okay. Slug wasn't quite there, but, heck, you get any kind of consistent offense from the catcher spot in this game. I mean, there are, what, a handful of catchers that really kind of mash. You know, you think of your Jonathan Lucroy's. There, there are, you know, Wilson Ramos last year, though he's injured and not going to start the year on time for the Tampa Bay Rays, moving on for the Nationals. But uh, a handful, like Buster Posey, of course, Yadier Molina, maybe, although his offense has slipped some since he, you know, turned 30 a few years ago. There are a few that offer you offense and pop, not many. And if you're getting consistent defense, solid defense, I mean, you look at a guy like Mike Zanino for the Seattle Mariners, a guy that White Sox fans have seen quite a bit, the defense is fantastic. The offense has been at times atrocious, and he gives you a little bit of pop. You can find, if, you, if you're an organization, organization looking for a catcher, you find quality defense, a offensive trait that's brought consistently to the dish, whether that's power, whether that's average, whether that's patience, whatever one thing you can find, I think that's, you know, you kind of put that check mark down on the list, and, and that's your starting catcher. Omar's still got some work to do to prove that he's, you know, a one, I suppose. But with Soto backing him up, you've got some veteran presence there. And and really, as, as we kind of started this talk about, it, you know, who's going to be that opening day catcher? Does it matter all that much? What's the timeshare going to look like? I think those are all pretty valid questions that Ricky Renneria will answer over the next month or two. You, you look down in the minor leagues, and I think for a lot of these positions, for a lot of, a lot of you know, spots where there are veterans playing now, who's next is going to be the question that a lot of White Sox fans will be asking as Rick Hahn has stated, trades are going to be made. Whether that's Todd Frazier, whether that's Melky Cabrera, whether that's David Robertson in the bullpen, whether that's Jose Quintana in the rotation, you know, who's next is is going to be a question asked fairly often. That answer 
is going to depend quite a bit on who comes back in some of those trades, obviously. I mean, you would imagine that if some of those veterans are shipped out, if especially some of that higher-end talent is moved, the returns are going to be somewhat similar to that Chris Sale deal. It could be somewhat similar to that Adam Eaton deal. That certainly seems to be why Rick Hahn has preached patience on some of those trades, whether that be the Quintana deal or others. That certainly seems to be why, or, or at least how, this rebuild is going to be stocked. But for the catcher's position, you know, one of those answers might be there now. You know, is Zach Collins... First overall pick from the, uh, by the White Sox in this last year's draft. I, I got to tell you, as, as far as you know, spring recaps go, taking a look back at where we were six, seven weeks ago and where we're at now, I, I know Zach did some really solid work while he was in Major League Camp and, and the work will continue in Minor League Camp. I, I think a question was answered, or at least to my satisfaction, that he's got a real decent chance, a better chance than I think a lot of people gave him to stick behind the plate. His work there, at least starting block-wise, was much better than I'd been led to believe by some, you know, outside of the White Sox uh, scouting reports. And I only I, I put it that way because every organization should have a pretty high expectation for their first overall pick in the draft, right? I mean, you, if you take him, that's why. That's you know, it, it stands to reason. Outside looking in, there have been some questions about it, and I think Zach Collins. Uh, via his worth ethic and you know what he showed you has been kind of impressive. He's a ways out, but at least when you look at the catcher spot, and that's kind of where we started this conversation about uh, the 13 players, position players on this roster. I think he's uh, I think he's proved to be a big time prospect in the Sox organization, and certainly there are others. We'll get to those on the other side of a quick break. We'll also break down where Ricky Renteria can go with the rotation and the bullpen as that's been set up too. We'll go through the 12 pitchers. They're going to be on the White Sox 25-man roster when they start Monday, 310, against the Detroit Tigers. Keep it here. White Sox Weekly, WLS AM 890. You got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. Going to go through the mailbag here in a couple of minutes, but wanted to get to the uh, the pitchers that are going to make this White Sox squad. Coming up on Monday, you can see the White Sox take on the Cleveland Indians, though, Friday, April 21st at 7:10 p.m., the first 20,000 fans in attendance Receive a White Sox tote bag presented by MLB Network. Be sure to stay after the game for a post-game fireworks show presented by MLB Network. Purchase your tickets today by visiting WhiteSox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. So the we've gone through the position players and spent a little bit of time on the catcher spot. I, I think that's an interesting one. I think whether uh, or, or what Omar Narvaez brings to the table will be of interest for White Sox fans. Of course, Elsewhere around the diamond, it's, you know, how is, is Todd Frazier uh, a long-term extension candidate? Is he a trade target of other teams? Melky Cabrera, where does he end up? Uh, this is his uh, last year under contract with the White Sox. David Robertson, that question exists there too, though it's a little bit of a different contract situation. And as we move to the pitchers, uh, it's going to be at the back end of, of making this. Because I, I think, you know, Sox fans knew... I mean, you knew who was going to make the squad for sure, right? I mean, obviously, Jose Quintana, James Shields, Derek Holland, Miguel Gonzalez were there in the rotation. David Robertson, Nate Jones, Dan Jennings, Zach Putnam, Jake Patricia, they were all going to be there for you, too. And there was a question of whether they were going to carry another lefty, whether 
uh, and, and having Carlos Rodon start the season on the disabled list shakes things up in the rotation, to be sure. So here are your answers. Anthony Swarzak is going to make the club. Another non-roster invitee makes it. Dylan Covey, a Rule 5 pick, has made the squad. And Michael Anoa, who was out of options and threw fairly well last year. Uh, there were you know, a little bit of a, a concerns about consistency at times, but in his first go through the bigs, I was fairly impressed with some of the stuff Michael Inoa was, was. It was tough to hit. Walked a few, to sure. Tough to hit, though, when he was plugging the zone. So here's what's interesting about the rotation to me. And Ricky Renneria talked a bit about it yesterday prior to the game. That, you know, and, and we mentioned the off days. Get the calendar out in front of me. I'm useless without it. The second day of the season, which is April 2nd, April 3rd. April 3rd? Yeah. They got the off day. And then again on the 10th, you've got another off day. So in theory, you can shuffle that rotation around to the point where you don't need a fifth starter until Sunday the 9th against Minnesota. Whether that's going to be Anthony Swarzak or Dylan Covey, apparently that's up for grabs a little bit here. They haven't necessarily made that decision. But what if this, and and I'd asked around about this, and it wasn't completely shot down, although it'd be a little bit unconventional, so I'll just offer you that. Maybe there's a chance to do kind of a piggyback situation if Carlos Rodon and the 10th, we just talked with Rick Renneria earlier on in the show. I'm sorry, Rick Hahn earlier on in the show. We we talked a bit about uh, Carlos and kind of where that, when that reevaluation comes around. He said about April 10th. So the 9th, perhaps you get a piggyback type start from Anthony Swarzak and Dylan Covey. Swarzak still being stretched out. Something like the three or maybe four innings. Uh, is probably what he could be expected to throw come April 9th. Covey has been a little bit more stretched out than that, but you know, still I, I don't know that 70, 80 pitches might be kind of the number for him. I'm just kind of I'm speculating a bit. But I wonder if you use those two guys and then go back to Jose Quintana um, on that full rest because of the off days and kind of shuffle some things around there. We'll have to see. I think a lot of it will depend on the health of Carlos Rodon, which – Han said was was pretty good. He's feeling pretty solid over the last couple of days. Of course, he's in that throwing program right now. The the biggest question, though, about the rotation, fifth starter aside, and when Carlos Rodon comes back, because to be sure, a, a big part of the White Sox future has something to do with Carlos Rodon and his kind of ascension. Does he take the reins and become uh, that, that second ace? Is he next in line for the top of the rotation in the, in the White Sox organization, I, I think he is. Health is going to be a big factor in that, and hopefully this bursitis is just kind of a, a blip on the radar screen. Because I think, and you can look at it from a couple of different ways. I've, I've read some analysis of the last 11 starts or so that Rodon made where you know he got away with a few things, although the strikeouts were up, but I think pretty important to him. I mean, he saw that last start against the Minnesota Twins where he struck out, I think, seven in a row straight to start a game. I mean, my God. Stuff was filthy. And I think as he kind of got paired more with Omar Narvaez down the stretch, there was a little bit more comfortability there. There was an ability on Narvaez's part to kind of catch the low strike, bring that thing up, help him out with the slider that he likes to throw down there. I have fairly high expectations for Carlos Rodon this year. I know he does, and I think the White Sox do too. You got to get him healthy, though. I mean, it's, and that's, he'll, he'll pitch when he's ready. Other than Rodon and where he's at, Obviously, and, and this might be the biggest little piece of information, this might be the biggest force driving the White Sox season this year, is what happens with Jose Quintana. 
White Sox haven't made any secrets about it. And I think, you know, as you look to the future of this organization, you can make a pretty fair argument either way on Q. There's value. He's got four years left on his deal. He's 28. He's one of the best left-handers in baseball. Certainly in that top 15 kind of range. No doubt about it. He's still kind of coming into his own. I wonder, and, and Ed and DJ have talked about this a lot during the broadcast, with, with Jose Quintana, steadiness, consistency, reliability have been huge trademarks for him. But that's not to say that the stuff isn't there. Obviously is. you got to have it to get it done. But I wonder if there's a next step for Jose. I wonder if there is more. And I think, you know, being more consistent, throwing more strikes, you know, being – Jose can work deeper counts, deep, deeper than maybe his uh, his command and control would lead you to believe. You know, if he's able to be a little bit more efficient, and I guess this is the trick for anybody with, with the kind of resume that Quintana has, if he's able to be a little bit more efficient, the, I mean, the, the numbers could go even higher. If, if those two-strike counts – turn into easy outs or strikeouts with a little bit more regularity. And it seems so weird to be, you know, splitting hairs with a guy as talented as Jose Quintana, and yet that's where you are. That age 28 season, where, does that aging curve hit, you know, perfectly for, for Jose Quintana this year? Does the comfortability of, of being around, of, of having a, having the go this, this next time through, he's A number one, top of the list. It'll be kind of interesting to see what he's got, what that next step for him is, both on the field and off the field. Obviously, he's he's perhaps the biggest piece on the trade market now and might be, you know, you, you look around potential, you know, moves that could be made around baseball. Chris Archer kind of comes to mind. Sonny Gray, if he'd stayed healthy, kind of comes to mind. Man, Jose Quintana's right up there. And the White Sox, and this has kind of been the, the story since the end of the 2016 season, the White Sox kind of control this trade market. And I think it's important, and Rick's said it a number of times, it's important that you don't make a deal just to make a deal. And I think the patience and, and the fact that we haven't seen one yet says that's exactly where the Sox heads are at right now, and that's where they ought to be. Sox lead the Brewers 1-0, top of the second. Game going on right now. On the other side of the 130 News, we will talk to the man who's calling the game through the magic of radio, uh, Jason Benetti, going to join us on White Sox Weekly. After the news, I'm Connor McKnight. You've got WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and joining us... The voice of the White Sox, Jason Benetti, who will be, uh, who is actually right now broadcasting the game for the White Sox. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Really appreciate it. Your ability to be in two places at once is unparalleled, my friend. Look, ventriloquism is really advanced now in 2017, <laughs> so I'm glad to be a part of it. Let me ask you this. It is it is my second year with the White Sox and being a part of the broadcast. It is yours as well. How is Jason Benetti different now as we approach your second opening day? Than he was uh, a year ago. Uh, hang on one sec. There's a ground ball to short. I gotta call it real fast. No, the the um, the, I think the I think the big difference for me is simply when I encounter somebody at the complex now, the Sox complex in Arizona or in Chicago or whatever it might be. That's uh, it's not the first time I've met them. I think that absolutely helps. 
so that's 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 part of it. And another part of it is simply that you you end up uh, you end up really understanding what the team is trying to do a little bit more. You have better relationships. You get the second or third conversation with somebody. That's that's huge. You're being versed in this organization and its history brings so much to the broadcast. I mean, can you even quantify that, or is it just too innate to even appreciate? Well, sometimes I just say things like Kirk McCaskill in the middle of the show. Sure. No, it's that there's there's great value to it. I know my way around the ballpark. I've seen the ballpark sight lines. I I I when I see Frank Thomas and you know Robin last year and Harold Baines, like I watched them growing up, so I know what their swings looked like. I know what types of players they were, and you just you live it, and so you feel it. So that's you know that's obviously terribly helpful, but also you know just kind of the esoteric. Players like I grew up watching Warren Newsom and Chris Sabo in socks uniforms. You know, that's it's there. There's just a, a comfort level with with the players. So you know, that's 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 very helpful. What uh, what surprised you most as you went down to Arizona and took a look at this ball club that is going through so many changes and and potentially more? Were, were there big surprises about players, coaches, uh, organizational philosophy that hit you at this point? It's a, my surprise came in early November. I was doing a, a Q&A with fans and Ricky Renteria. And I had talked to Ricky at points last year, talked to him about his draft day and some other stories and things like that. But I hadn't talked to him at great length as a leader of men. And watching him with season ticket holders and describing the team that he wanted with the energy that he had – it was terribly impressive. I mean, he jumped out. It was it was really exceptional. And so that that was my first surprise is is his personality just living off of his sleeve. So that was really important. And then number two, uh, when I get down to spring training, there's kind of a camaraderie with these young players. It's almost like a college type atmosphere in terms of wanting to be together and the best together and grow together. There's kind of a it's kind of a, a, a camaraderie there that I didn't necessarily expect and you don't always see in a in a pro clubhouse. So it is my understanding, Jason, that you have interviews with a good number of the top thirty prospects in the White Sox organization and those will be at different points during the season kind of disseminated and broadcast to White Sox fans. What what brought about that series of interviews? Was that your idea? What made you want to do it? And what kind of uh, what kind of things can we expect from those? It was a group idea. I mean, it was it was certainly part of the organizational philosophy in the off season. So uh, some of us had discussions over how we could handle it and what came of it uh, with me and the Sox and discussing it is the ability to sit down and chat with some of these guys about where they came from and who they are and, and what makes them tick. And so you're going to see some of that every day on our show there will be some minor league report every game that we do this year whether it be home road whatever it might be mm-hmm. there's going to be a taste of the minors because i mean that's that's where the organization is building the Sox have a bona fide top five farm system and with technology these days we have the ability to follow them and i, I guarantee you that the Sox brass is going to have eyes on the field this year but there's also going to be a little peripheral vision during the games of watching Triple A, double A, single A. That was happening last year. That was happening the year before, even without the large haul that came in the offseason. So why shouldn't our telecast mirror that a little bit? What's your job as it pertains to trade rumors throughout the course of the season? 
uh, not get traded myself. <laughs> the um, with a player to be named later, Jason Benetti has been dealt right. to Seattle. Uh, yeah, I can. I do. I get to name the player. I just name a player. That's yep. great. That's so cute. the 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 idea is, if they're happening and they're pervasive, they exist, right? I mean, the, we're not saying that somebody's going to get traded, but yes, I mean that's. That's part of what's going on in the clubhouse, especially if a player says it, right? If a player is talking about that as a possibility, it is affecting the clubhouse in one way or the other, whether it be extensively or just a little bit. And I think it's just the editorial process. How much is it really important to the the telecast that day that we talk about trade rumors. I mean, look, the 24-hour news cycle is such that we can talk about the headline news every minute of every day and get nowhere, right? So I think it's it's a triage aspect. We have to decide how important is it, does it overwhelm us, and do we need to talk about it, or is it something that really will go away in 32 seconds and won't be – yeah, it depends on the source. It depends on how many people. It depends on what the team says. There are so many different aspects to it that we just have to make a case by case decision. What's new on the broadcast this year? I know MLB and MLB uh, MLB Advanced Media is pushing this uh, the catch probability thing, which I, I think is pretty cool. How how now do we look at or do we get to look at on the broadcast the advanced metrics, the the stuff that um, the inside baseball kind of stuff that front offices used to evaluate players as of today that still is being 100 percent locked in exactly how much we can convey stat cast stuff mm-hmm. and that's by by a contractual situation with bam we're just working on the technology exactly what it was i think over the course of this season you're going to see a development in that regard so I don't know exactly what we can offer today, but there will be some more stat cast stuff, I'm told, over the course of the season. Again, it's when it's relevant. So we're going to have to make that decision, uh, but but th- there will be some more of that. And we have a few tricks up our sleeve, too. How does is that include Sox math? How does that change in year two? Do every Does every answer just get multiplied by two? Is it divided by <laughs> two? Is it exponential? How do we work that? Uh, this is breaking news, Connor. I have not told this to anybody. Oh my God. But uh, Sox math is is done. No, you're uh, kidding. Yeah, me. I mean, just no. It is. Uh, we had a, we had a problem with a, a sponsor didn't like it, and uh, no more Sox math. This is uh, this is awful. Are you it's all right? April first, Connor. It's April first. I hate April first <laughs> so much. <laughs> no, Sox math is back with a vengeance. It's it's Sox math too. Uh, you know, whatever the sequel is. That, Electric Boogaloo. Your, I, listen, your dejection in your voice sold me on that. I feel I'm, I hate so much <laughs> about the things that you choose to be. Ugh. I Thank thought you. I was going to so have to tweet this out. I thought I thought we were going to no, have to no, talk no. about this like in earnest with callers next. This is, oh, you're the worst. There's a, there's a psychological representative on the way to the studio right now to help you with this. If uh, I had to pick the person that was going to try and pull an, an April Fool's prank, I would never have, have expected Jason Benetti. Well, you know, it's not too kitschy for me. <laughs> Nothing's too kitschy for me. So here's the thing. Uh, Sox math will be a little different this year. There's going to be weekend Sox math, which, you know, your weekends are kind of leisurely, right? They are. You want to have fun on the weekend. So Sox math is going to be a little more leisurely on the weekend. It is going to be its typical difficult selves during the weekday. But I think people deserve a break on the weekend. So it might be 
It might be a little less complicated on okay. the weekend. All right. So kind of like a, a reverse New York Times crossword puzzle philosophy. Uh, yeah, you know, that's, get... that's what we're going for. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly that's it. I'm sure that's, that's exactly how you pitched it to the higher-ups. Jason, appreciate yeah. your time, my friend. I know you got a ball game to get to through the magic of radio. We're talking to you while you're talking to White Sox fans. It's crazy, but it's, it's true. a long drive. Deep left. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us, my man. We will, uh, we'll see you opening day. Sounds great. Appreciate it, Connor. Absolutely. That's White Sox broadcaster Jason Benetti, who, despite his trying to pull an April Fool's prank, is actually a, a nice guy. No worries. Sox math is back. He was he was just kidding. Everything's fine. 312-591-8900. We will wrap things up on the other side of a quick break. We'll also bring you uh, Jake May, White Sox center fielder. Had a chance to talk with him for a few minutes yesterday. That's all next on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Closing it up here. Final segment of the show before we start baseball. That feels good to say. Opening day on Monday, you can see the White Sox take on the Cleveland Indians Friday, April 21st, 7, 10 p.m. First 20,000 fans in attendance will receive a White Sox tote bag presented by MLB Network. Be sure to stay after the game for a post-game fireworks show. That's also presented by MLB Network. Purchase your tickets today by visiting whitesox.com or calling 866 Sox game. Just a couple of minutes left here on the show. I got a chance and, and hadn't talked with Jacob May much in spring training. Just kind of, you know, spring's long, but I, I was only down there for about two weeks. And, of course, you're going to miss some guys as it goes. And, and to be honest, when I was down there the first two weeks of spring, I, I, I wouldn't have called Jacob May making this team right off the bat. A chance, sure, possibilities, darn good defensive outfielder, but, you know, had a little bit of work to do with the stick and, you know, at the time you had Charlie Tilson coming back from an injury. He had yet to have the, the second setback. And um, Peter Borges was was also still on the roster. So Jacob May seemed like a couple of things needed to shake out for him to make the squad. Turns out he did. And the first thing I did when we were sitting down in the dugout in Milwaukee is congratulate him for making the team. It's exciting. I appreciate it. Um, just, I'm, I'm just really blessed and I'm grateful. At what point during the spring did you think, you know, because I'm sure you showed up and, and knew that you were going to show them what you could do. At what point during the spring did you realize this was going to be real, that, that you were very close? Um, you know, there was no real, real certain point. I mean, I knew uh, day in and day out I had to, I had to be consistent. So, uh, you know, every day um, leading up until I got the news, I, I didn't really guarantee anything. You never know in this game. So, uh, you know, I just try to stay consistent, go out there and do my best and play hard. What was the difference in this spring and a couple of the springs prior, last spring, the spring before? Did you feel different? Did the results come easier? Was the learning process easier? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I mean, every offseason I put in a lot of work, so I, I think it's just starting to um, all kind of flourish and uh, come together. And, um, you know, I got a chance to be in Big League Camp last spring, so that, that helped uh, coming into this spring a little bit as far as uh, being comfortable, you know, uh, getting to know the staff and uh, some of the players and the faces in the uh, locker room. So I was a little bit more comfortable. I kind of knew what to expect this time coming into spring, so that, that was enjoyable. For, uh, for White Sox fans who haven't been able to watch a ton of spring training baseball, describe your game. What do you bring when you're out there in center field, what kind of player do you do you, do you fancy yourself as? Oh, speed and athleticism. I mean, it, it, I'm 
any, any way I can help the team win. So, I mean, whether that's taking away a hit, stealing a bag, anything that I can, uh, you know, impact the game with my legs, I'm going to try to do. So uh, I, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty blessed with uh, some good athleticism and speed, so I try to incorporate that in my game. The uh, front office has talked a lot about incorporating speed more and, and athleticism from a top-down kind of thing. Tim Anderson's as fast as I'll get out. Yohan Mankata's got some wheels. You're very fast. I mean, do you guys do you see that as an opportunity to, to, uh, to make something happen when you're out there? Yes, definitely. I mean, um, you know, athleticism and speed, that's, that's it's hard to come about, and uh, I think our organization is really deep in it. I mean, it's impressive, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, growing up and coming through this organization with Tim, uh, you know, one and two in the lineup or wherever we may be, we've made a good impact uh, throughout our careers in the minor leagues. So it's 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 definitely a, a game changer and it's fun. Is knowing when to pick your spots something that you learn along the way, or is that something? Is that an instinct that guys are gifted with? You think? No, I think uh, you know throughout experience you start to learn uh, when when is a good time to run, when it's not. Uh, you learn to do your homework and on the pitcher and uh, try to pick up on his tendencies and stuff like that. So you know, I think that comes with experience. And the more you play the game, the more you'll start to pick up on pitchers' tendencies season when when's a good time to run and when it's not Sox have a couple of young outfielders in the system guys like alex call and jameson fisher and you're kind of the first of that young outfield crop to come up who's helped you most throughout the minor leagues and in, in getting here whether it be defensively or offensively you know by being a, a young outfielder like that uh, i mean i think i think every every step of the way um all all the step all of the staffs throughout the organization have helped me in some way or another you know everyone's touched me um throughout my career i mean even doug sisson who's not even with the white Sox anymore. He touched me, Aaron Rowan. Um, you know, they, they do a great job of bringing in guys uh, left and right that um, have helped me throughout my career so far with the White Sox that have helped me, um, you know, through each level. That's White Sox outfielder Jacob May, who is in center field right now and was in center field yesterday for the Sox. He's been a fun guy to talk to. He is uh, absolutely jacked to make the squad, and he should be. Of course, nephew of uh, Carlos May, former White Sox outfielder, a guy who knew how to handle a fastball to be sure. I find it interesting, and, and as much as we've talked about the big-time prospects in this organization, right, the ones that have propelled it to a top-five system, we just talked with Jason Panetti, uh, who's doing the broadcast right now, uh, about the White Sox being on top of a lot of farm system rankings or in that top five. There are a lot of others um, that are outside a, a White Sox top ten that are interesting dudes. Um Future Sox, which is one of the blogs that, that covers some of the minor leaguers and, and does a great job of doing it for White Sox fans, is, is out there and has brought up some of those young kids like Alex Call, like Jamison Fisher, uh, Luis Alexander Basabe, who would be in a top ten but also fits the bill for a young outfield prospect that's kind of on the come. I, I think those guys you know, might be as important to the franchise or, or might be, I guess, hopping into that top ten list sooner rather than later. I guess the hope is this season, we've talked a lot about what this season may mean for some of the veterans on this squad, whether they're going to be here or whether they're going to be moved elsewhere for uh, for other pieces. But for some of the younger kids, not on the 25-man roster, obviously, graduation dates are hopefully coming. Now, the White Sox have stressed that they're not going to rush anybody. I think that's the right play. But that's not to say that Juan Mancada and Ronaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito and Carson Fulmer, they may all have call-ups on the way. Adam Engel could be another guy who's who's on the way at some point this season. Certainly a guy who's also in that top ten, or at least would be if the hadn't been called up last year, depending on how you put your systems together, I guess. Uh, Charlie Tilson, when he's healthy at some point this year, is going to be uh, another young outfielder that's thrown into the mix. 
And I suppose when we, as we look through that 25-man roster that Ricky Renteria has put together, there will be changes to it, um, even just from the standpoint of, you know, not so much call-ups, but adding guys back who are on that major. Carlos Rodon's going to come back at some point in the next couple of weeks. Charlie Tilson, hopefully in, in the month of April, will come back as well. And, you know, that's going to move some guys out. You know, that's going to send some guys down. And that's, you know, as always, the White Sox and any other ball club is not going to finish the year with the 25 guys that they started with. That said, um, I think it'll be really interesting to watch some of those young players. And we will do the best we can. We talked with, uh, with Jason about it. Uh, their broadcast is going to focus a lot on the minor leagues when that warrants. And we are, too. On the post-game show and here on White Sox Weekly, we're going to bring you a minor league roundup every single Saturday and let you know what some of the top prospects in the White Sox organization have done over the past week. During the post-game shows, if some of the big guys are pitching or maybe you got a couple of dingers from some of the young hitters, we're going to bring you that news as well. So, you know, we, we understand, or at least we're, we're going to try and understand and, and bring you exactly what you want to know about the White Sox and about their system this season. Plenty to know about, or at least I want to let you know, about our plans on WLS uh, for opening day. Do we have a phone call real quick? All right, we're going to sneak a phone call in before we get there. It's uh, Mike in Byron. We lost him. We lost Mike. We lost Mike. Dial tone instead. All right, here's what I'll do. Let you know what we're doing on Monday. The entire station, the whole roster, is going to be out there for opening day. John and Ray are going to be in the Ed and DJ broadcast booth from 6 until 10, doing the show out at Guaranteed Rate Field. Bob and Marianne are at the Shy Sox Bar and Grill from 10 until noon. I'll uh, I'll be doing a hit with them before I head over to the clubhouse. We'll talk White Sox there at Shy Sox Bar and Grill. You can come over, say hi. Um, then I'm hanging out with Steve Dahl and the boys a little bit, and be doing. I'll also be doing the pregame show from the Shy Sox Bar and Grill. That starts 2:35. First pitch 3:10. Of course, we'll head things over to Ed and DJ. You'll hear from Ricky Renteria on the pregame show. You'll hear from Don Cooper on the pregame show. You'll hear from Ed and DJ. Of course. We're going to get you set for opening day. It'll be an exciting one, to be sure. Jose Quintana and Justin Verlander on the Hill. They're your matchup. You can join the 2017 Sox Pride Club for exclusive ticket offers, membership gifts, game day opportunities, ballpark tours, MLB.com, game day audio for your computer and more. Visit SoxPrideClub.com to join today. If you're driving around, it means you've got stuff to do and you're listening to us, and we appreciate you chiming in and hanging out throughout the course of the afternoon. White Sox lead the Brewers 1-0, top four up in Milwaukee, last one before we get things going for real. Our thanks to White Sox general manager Rick Hahn, thanks to former White Sox first baseman Paul Canerico, and thanks to Jason Benetti, White Sox broadcaster, for joining us on our last White Sox Weekly before opening day of 2017. Thanks to Tyler as well for uh, our producing our broadcast. Thanks for calling, texting. Most of all, thanks for listening. 2.35, your White Sox pregame show starts on Monday. Make sure you listen to the station all day long as we'll be out at the ballpark bringing you everything you need to know from Guaranteed Rate Field. Have a wonderful Saturday afternoon. Baseball starts Monday. We'll see you then. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.